Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision making. Hello to everyone and thanks for tuning in. This is Beyond Governance at High FM. My name is Nimrat Tembele. The show has uh, turned a new page as we are broadcasting on every Thursday from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock. I'm super excited for this time slot and thanks to all those who made suggestions which the station management heeded so diligently. As we turn the new leaf, we are certainly going to be a lot sharper and a lot smarter on topics and types of guests that we're bringing in. I'm quite keen to hear your thoughts in terms of the programming and who do you think we should invite from time to time. I certainly will not disappoint, at least on my part, in terms of living up to my promise. Should I not live to that particular promise, you're more than welcome to give me your thoughts and views so that we are able to sharpen our conversation, sharpen the topics, sharpen the kind of trajectory that you would please your dear self, as it were. I will certainly miss Simon and his team. However, Howard Feldman, who is uh, coming immediately after him, is definitely equal to task. I will be sort of pledging a unique, if not seamless integration of thought processes with Howard and his team, uh, the Mayhem team, I might just add. As I get to the gist or maybe framing the gist of our conversation um Today, we, we all know that the state of corporate government in South Africa and globally, I might just add, leave much to, to be desired as a number of reputable companies, both in public and private realm, were found wanting on compliance and ethical issues. And we have noted a number of senior executives who simply did not consider accountability that benefits general population. Accountability has been limited. To few individuals who could be defined as members of the elite, depending on where you are sitting. Um, the evidence is quite overwhelming about issues of accountability. When you look at, uh, you know, corporate scandals such as VBS Bank, you look at Stanoff, uh, you look at EOH, you look at Tonga and Hewlett, you look at uh, Gupta's own companies, you look at APMG and McKenzie, just to mention a few you realize that there's been so much wrong and based on poor leadership, based on limited or narrow accountability uh, framework. In the same vein, in the public sector, municipalities and government departments have their, in a lounge share, if I might ask, of shenanigans based on leadership that could simply not appreciate accountability. They could not appreciate why they're there. They were placed in the position of trust by, you know, their constituencies, and yet they found it difficult to understand and appreciate the very reason why they were there. Clearly, there's something wrong with that. I mean, we have so many legislation that governs the operations of municipalities, that governs operations of private sector and public sector. You know, the Companies Act, you know, top of mind, uh, the PFMA in the private sector, and so on and so forth. And we also have, over and above that, the King Report, which also serves as a guide on how companies should pursue inclusive growth by looking at the interests, not only of the shareholders, but the interests of the stakeholders. In making sense of these very complex issues, I'm joined by a well-known thought leader, I might add, um, who's other than Michael Jordan from Jordan's Comprint. Michael is also attached to the Institute of Directors as um, South Africa, as he's contributed in the write-up of the Kinfo report. I'm also joined by Dr. Sifiso Falala, who's an executive 
at Plusland for research. Without any waste of time, gentlemen, uh, you are most welcome. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Mbele. And it's fascinating to have Michael because uh, the program is called Beyond Governance. And I'll be interested to hear Michael's take on you know, what governance is all about and whether it's something that he truly loves or loathes because, you know, he's a top lawyer and lawyers exist specifically because there are certain individual that, individuals that break the rules. So on the one hand, you'd hope that people don't break the rules. On the other hand, when they do break the rules, you then in business. And if they don't break the rules, then you are not in business. So maybe, Michael, on your side, just to give us an overview, what is corporate governance and, and, and what is your involvement in that, in that space? Uh, thank you very much for having invited me, Dr. Mbele and uh, Dr. Falala. Uh, it appears I'm the, the only one that's not a doctor, so <laughs> perhaps you can give me an honorary title for this next half an hour. Thank you very much for having invited me. It's a great pleasure to be able to talk to you about something which is very dear and close to my heart, and that's corporate governance. I've been very fortunate to have had the opportunity in my life to work with the father of corporate governance, the world's father of corporate governance, Mervyn King, uh, the founder of the, the, the King Committee and the, the man who at the request of uh, Madiba wrote the first King Report and we now have the fourth iteration of the King Report and fortunately we still have Mervyn guiding and directing us in the, and globally in the field of good corporate governance. You know, it was said once that the fruits of good governance are as clear and welcome as the rotten fruits of poor and bad governance are unwanted. And I think the very important thing is that whenever we talk about governance, people tend to look at the at the Steinhoffs of this world and regard corporate governance as failing. And that's not right because corporate, the King Code, arguably regarded as the world's finest corporate governance code, is never promised that we could turn any thief honest. What stakeholders and particularly the shareholders who appoint the directors they are responsible for ensuring that the directors that they appoint to the boards embrace and ensure that the spirit and the word of the King Code is applied in the organization. In South Africa, in terms of our Companies Act, subject to certain exceptions which aren't really relevant for purposes of this, the shareholders appoint the directors, and it's up to the shareholders, it's up to the institutions it's, who invest the public's money into, which is in fact has the nature of trust money, into these organizations to ensure that the directors that they appoint are, as I've said, people who embrace good culture, ethical and effective leadership, the King Code and all aspects of good corporate governance. So it's not a failure of King. And I'm not laying the blame at anybody's feet. I'm saying that we all need to work together to ensure that good corporate governance is practiced in our law. Michael, 
Sorry, Michael, if, if, if I may interrupt, uh, uh, and, and I hate to interrupt you, but isn't that really the issue? Isn't that where the question is that you said that the fruits of good governance haven't been experienced perhaps to the full extent? And, and, and working in business in South Africa, one could even argue that perhaps the fruits of good governance are an area of contestation that there really isn't that much consensus, there isn't that much agreement that there are fruits. I mean, how do you advise then the potential perpetrators, the perpetrators, that there are fruits of good governance? Because it doesn't appear to an average citizen, at least, that there are fruits of good governance. If you look globally, there really are, there are many drivers, but two of the big drivers for good corporate governance are either when it's part of the culture of the society to govern correctly or where there are serious consequences for not governing correctly. And so what we've lacked in this country are serious consequences and we can but hope that we will now start seeing serious consequences for breach or failure of good corporate governance. What we also need to do is to go to the schools to the universities, to the business schools, to the homes with parents' obligation to ensure that we have the right culture in this country where we have a culture of good governance, a culture of ethics and transparency. You know, and you know of this, Sophisa, because I know it's something that you've worked with, that there's much scientific and philosophical writings, which I know you've seen, that creativity and dishonesty often go hand in hand. And so it's so important at the, er- at the early stages in the universities, the schools, the business schools, that we ensure that creativity is, doesn't go hand in hand with dishonesty, but goes hand in hand with ethics and honesty. So there's many players. There's the business schools, the universities, there's the parents, there's the homes. And then, of course, there are also the the financial institutions who are the big shareholders to ensure that the directors that they appoint to the boards are the right people to ensure that we have good corporate governance and we see the benefits and the fruits of good corporate governance and putting into effect a jewel, South Africa's jewel, and that's the King Report. And code. Michael, I think you made a very pertinent point by looking at obviously the organizational culture which permeates uh, throughout. And I really like what you emphasize by saying, you know, uh, the fruits of good corporate governance uh, can only be realized if we cultivate schools, we cultivate universities, we cultivate society as a whole because what you see happening in those particular institutions are as a result of one of the issues that you had uh, brought to attention, the almost impunity or inability of the authorities to hold the perpetrators to account. On that very note point, let's just take a break. Please don't go anywhere. We'll come back on the very same point, which I want Michael to illustrate. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making.
Welcome back. If you have just joined us, uh, hopefully you didn't go too far. My name is Numero Timbele. Delighted to be in your space as uh, on this glorious day. We are joined online by Michael Juden from Juden Combrick, as well as Dr. Sfiso Falala, from, who is an executive at Plasland for Research. The gist of our conversation at this moment is the, the quagmire that we find ourselves at in relation to corporate governance, as it were. Before we, we had a, a, that break, Michael gave us his thoughts in terms of what is it that we need to do to cultivate the culture of good, of, of good corporate governance by going to schools, by going to business schools, by also addressing the issue of Consequence management, which is something that in this particular country we have not been able to do. Uh, on the very same point, what would it take for authorities to address consequence management as they should? Bearing in mind that the rotten fruits of corporate governance really rob you and I and every single South African child an opportunity to grow. If I had a, a fairy godmother and I had a wish, I would want corporate governance to prevail not because of consequence, but because of culture. But being realistic as we, and I've spoken to Dr. Falala about this, this, the nudge theory, as we nudge, nudge, nudge towards a culture of good governance, effective and uh, ethical leadership, we need to have consequence. And consequence is that when those entrusted with the funds of others, the directors, with institutions and shareholders' money, know that if they breach good corporate governance, there will be very serious consequences. Full stop. And that is the result of not governing correctly. That needs to go hand in hand with the very important of us of the learning and the teaching and the embracing of good corporate governance so that ultimately one day, maybe not in my lifetime, but we'll see a culture of good corporate governance, which will still always need to have the consequence for the perpetrators who fall outside of the net. And we can have a look at the Nordic countries, for example, it's always difficult to generalize because there are good and bad everywhere. But those are countries where there really is a culture of good corporate governance. Then we have a look at countries like, for example, Australia, where the, the consequences are so very, very serious for breaching the law. People know that if you breach the law, there will be a consequence. I often tell people when I'm talking about governance of my son's experience, he's a banker in Australia, of his au pair who was caught driving at 41 kilometers in a 40 kilometer zone. And the magistrate in punishing her said 41 and 40 are two different speeds. 40 was the limit and you were at 41. You are guilty. And that's the kind of consequence you need swift and effective punishment and justice for perpetrators. That's an interesting uh, perspective. And uh, giving an Australian example, of course, is bound to, to polarize us here in, in South Africa because we think they are or they can be boring. There's an 
A question of a South African interest, maybe a South African slant, which is a small business slant. We recently did a, a small survey to establish just how much people knew about the South African constitution, uh, about the law, and, and we were very surprised at so many things that get taken for granted that people did not know about. And uh, so it is with the Companies Act, Act and also maybe with corporate governance in, in general. Is there perhaps some sort of orientation pack, some sort of uh, idiot-proof catalog of rules that a new person getting into business in South Africa can observe, given that there seems to be this suggestion that corporate governance is the staircase to, to heaven. Now, is there some sort of rules that, that can be followed, um, albeit very, very brief, because I imagine that if one is starting a small business, maybe they are based in a township, they don't have access to libraries or, or data, they might struggle to, to, to come to terms with every single word and every paragraph in, in King 4? It's a very good question that you raised, Sathisa. So when, uh, when Mervyn King uh, appointed the, the task team, of which I was grateful to be a member, and uh, we set about our three-and-a-half-year task of writing King 4, one of the myriad of issues that we dealt with was a comments were criticisms that we'd received on King 3, which the, the people perceived it as a code only for large companies. And we took that on board very seriously. So what we did when we wrote King 4 was we, we understood that proportionality is an important consideration when applying the practices in the situational context of each organization in the various sectors. So what we did is we said that practices should be applied as is appropriate to the size, the resource, complexity of strategic objectives and the operations of the organization. But what we also said is that applying practices proportionally is, and this is very important, subject to achieving the principles and realizing the governance outcomes. And to give practical effect to that, what we did at the conclusion of the writing of King 4 is we wrote sector supplements, which are attached to the report. And there is a supplement specifically for small and medium business. And King 4 is easily accessible on the internet. It's very easy to access the small and medium business supplement. But to assist and to tie the sector supplement to King, what we also did in King 4 is that we wrote, and it's also easily accessible on the internet if you visit the King 4 code, is King on a page. So we took the whole of the King report and code and we summarized all on one page, which a small business or medium business owner can draw down. He or she can then draw down the small and medium enterprise business sector supplement. They're written in plain English. We ensured that it was written in plain and simple English. Read that king on a page, which is as part of the code. Print out the sec that and the sector supplement. And that is their starter 
a pack for governance. In addition to that, on the website of the Institute of Directors in South Africa, we write through various subcommittees. was on one subcommittee last week. We're writing a practice paper, a guidance note on dissenting directors. How do directors say no, I disagree at a meeting? And those are the type of papers we draw, and all of those are easily available to the public. So my advice is draw the king on a page for small businesses, draw the sector supplement, visit the, the website of the Institute of Directors in South Africa, draw down the guidance and practice notes which we publish on it, and please do not hesitate to write to us at the IOD, to our executive director, Palmy Natterson, recommending um, papers which you think we should write. And in my commercial practice as a commercial uh, lawyer and commercial litigator, I have found that people who have used these facilities have really had a basic and good understanding of corporate governance. Fantastic, Michael, for that brilliant insight, which I think the listener will certainly heed, particularly when, you know, institutes such as yours um, is, is being confronted by, I suppose, uh, positive criticism about the rich, because we know that in the country there's a lot of good work that has been done, but it does not reach an ordinary folk in the street. But these kinds of insights and guides uh, in terms of the supplementary submissions, do certainly look at a small man who may not have the acumen of pursuing or the acumen or understanding of what constitutes good corporate governance. On that note, let's just take a break. I insist that no one should walk away because the conversation that we're having are very enriching. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back to Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrod Mbele. I'm joined by Michael Judin from Judin Cambridge uh, Incorporation, and uh, I'm also joined by Sifiso Falala, who is an executive at uh, Plus94 Research. Uh, we are dealing with a very interesting topic about the extent to which corporate governance codes applicable or reaching a small man, for we all know that uh, the initial thinking, as Michael did correctly pointed out before we went to the break, that corporate governance, some of the major criticism leveled against the committee was that uh, corporate governance code were meant for big businesses. And we all know that smaller businesses are the blood uh, you know, in a bloodline or bloodstream of any economic development. If we can't focus on small businesses, we're not like, with a kind of culture, with a kind of ethos that is grounded in ethics and ethical conduct, we, we're not going to go anywhere. I think those particular issues that Michael has brought to our attention are quite useful. But moving forward, Michael, what would you consider as a positive things that in your, in your experience, um, uh, you have certainly benefited from that you want the listeners to be aware of by way of, you know, pushing the corporate governance agenda forward, uh, as it were, particularly in the, in the context of competition. I think, uh, Nimrod, that as it's often said, the crown jewels of modern business are data protection and governance. It's impossible to 
overstate the importance of good governance in an organization. And that is why it is so critically important that we pay particular attention to those who are appointed to sit as directors on companies, whether they're listed, unlisted, big or small, to ensure that these are people who embrace, truly embrace, um, the principles of good corporate governance. Fortunate in this com- country to have one of the world's finest stock exchanges with the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. We know well in our corporate governance those at the JSE who ensure that the publicly traded companies comply with good corporate governance. And whilst there have been failures, we should have a look at the number of successes, the number of companies that have governed correctly. And JC are sometimes unfairly criticised for failures, but I believe that they have played an exceptional role in ensuring that there's good corporate governance and continue to do so. And so, as I said earlier, we need to make good corporate governance part of our DNA. Uh, You know, Malcolm Gladwell speaks about that blink moment. And in that blink moment, before we do anything, we should always bear in mind the importance of good corporate governance and a very important rule in the Companies Act is a rule called the Business Judgment Rule. There are many articles on it. We've written for the Institute of Directors and released it at the beginning of this year, and it's on the website of the IODSA, and I would recommend to listeners who haven't seen it to draw it down on the Business Judgment Rule. It's a rule in the Companies Act which simply puts, says that providing that you act when you are not conflicted or have disclosed the conflict, that you act properly informed, that you are aware and understand what you're talking about, and that you're acting reasonably and in the best interests of the organization for a lawful purpose, you have no liability. So we, we are born knowing what's right and what's wrong. As I spoke earlier about creativity and dishonesty, we need to ensure that they don't go hand in hand, but creativity and honesty. And it seems as though it's so difficult to apply good corporate governance. It's really very easy. We know what's right and we know what's wrong, and we can't justify to ourselves to do things that are wrong. We have to accept that we have to do things that are right. Maybe the longer and the more difficult. Isn't that where the challenge is, though? Because most people in small business would tend to see governance as something that serves the regulator or serves the the receiver of revenue as opposed to something that serves their business. And I'm interested in, in, in how we can improve communication around governance as an aid to the development, as an aid to the growth of their business 
as something that they should embrace because it is good for them. It's not necessarily an instrument by which the regulator and, and the receiver is, 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 is watching you. And I think that's the conflict that many people face that it's just one of those hurdles that you have to go through. And I was interested to, to hear you mention the book by Malcolm Gladwell, Blink, because the small business person and the large business person as well, is concerned about speed and some small business people might be tempted to think that governance done correctly is going to substantially slow down the rate at which business is done. Is that a myth or is, is, is there some truth in that? I think one of the greatest untruths, Sathisa, is that corporate governance, that practicing good corporate governance hinders your growth. It's not appropriate on this program to mention names or organizations. But we have so many examples of big, small and medium organizations in this country where people have governed correctly, have chosen a path which may sometimes be a little slower, but it's certainly a path for sleeping better at night. And the one thing that I often say when I'm talking to people about governance is if you have proper governance in your organization, if you're aware of risk in your organization and have taken steps to alleviate it or minimize it or control it, you can focus. It's like clearing your inbox. Now you can focus on only growing your business because you're not concerned about a call from the authorities or a call from somebody else that you've done something wrong to. You All you have to do is you have your governance in place, the house is in order, and now all you have to do is focus on growing the business. It makes for sleeping well at night. I couldn't agree with you more, uh, Michael, on that very point, for we all know that a positive correlation between good governance and economic growth. Perhaps maybe the, to come to Sifiso's point around the myth, the question just might be the pace in which an organization can grow, especially for a small man. But having said that, you just raised a very pertinent point around business judgment rule, which is essentially about the diligence which all the directors need to observe. I mean, if there's no conflict of interest, you click. But here's something that is so profound in hindsight, in retrospect. We've just had recently the UH saga in you know, the previous executives were found wanting or allegedly uh, were involved in some kind of malfeasance uh, to a point where CETA, you know, obviously laid charges at the Zondo Commission. What would that mean to the board members who were sitting at EOH at the time in respect to business judgment rule? Okay, so you've mentioned the name, so I can use EOH is a classic case for a business school study mm. of how the current CEO is somebody for whom I have the highest regard and greatest respect. What did he do? He went into a corrupt organization. He opened it up to the world, and he's taken every conceivable step to put it right. And I believe in the fullness of time, he will be rewarded for it. He took all of his stakeholders and the public into his confidence. He was absolutely transparent. He's taking steps against those who were responsible for all of the malfeasance. And he really is a good example for all of us and uh, somebody that we should applaud. It's difficult for me 
to sit in judgment over the directors who were there. I don't know what happened in that boardroom. But one thing that I can tell you for certain is those directors who were acted ethically, honestly, transparently, and complied with the business judgment rule can sleep at night. Those that, that didn't, can't. We recently had an example in our office where we represented in a liquidation a director of a two-director company. Our client really had complied with the business judgment rule. He walked out free from the inquiry. The other director has been sequestrated or lost all of his assets and will probably land up in prison. So it is possible in an organization where one or more of the directors have acted honestly. And, in fact, the Companies Act makes provision for the court to not impose joint and several liability on all of the directors and to excuse certain directors who are not responsible. So the EOH story is a good story in South Africa where management such as the current comes in and decides to take the right path to good corporate governance. And, you know, I've often say, without wanting to introduce too much of a spiritual um, slanting to all of this, but however wise the audience, the one thing that the audience doesn't know, and that is what happens when we leave this earth. We spend our whole corporate lives insuring, hedging bets, ensuring that we've covered all of the risks when that time comes for all of us, I think that it's a good hedged bet and a good risk to have covered, not knowing whether we account or not, to be able to say, I've got a good argument. I took the slower road. I took the steeper road. But I governed properly and I ensured that there was good corporate governance. I think it makes a lot of sense in the short life the time that we spend here to govern correctly. I think it's a, it's a secure road to take. I agree with you, Michael, on, on that one. Maybe if we can take a slightly different slant with regards to giving some examples of countries that have been fairly aggressive commercially and have experienced uh, exponential uh, economic growth, um, for example, Singapore and in the past Malaysia, and China, and China is particularly fascinating because of the so-called state-sponsored capitalism, where China, as a huge um, um, instrument or, or government operation, uh, runs uh, businesses directly or indirectly through um, uh, through state-owned um, enterprises to effect what would be regional dominance, even global dominance, including in places such as Africa. What can we learn in terms of um, what those countries have done and with regards to how they have dealt with governance and, 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 and what, what pitfalls they avoided in getting to the kinds of uh, growth numbers that they've experienced? I think, Safisa, the one I can't, don't want to hold myself out as an expert on the world because I'm not. But I think that if you look at common threads in those countries, they, what, what, the, what has been focused upon is the culture. A culture where it's not only for me, but it's for all of us, um, to act correctly. 
and where there is an embarrassment when you're with colleagues, with friends, with peers, if you've acted dishonestly, where there is not an acceptance of a culture, where you can't over a bribe tell a story that everybody laughs about, about how you breached something and how you were able to pay a bribe and it went away, where you would be ashamed if you'd done anything wrong. We need to instill that kind of culture. And hand in hand, as I said earlier, as we nudge our way to a culture, to have a look in the countries you've mentioned of the serious, serious consequences. You'll know better than me, but I think it was in Singapore where you were jailed or fined if you threw chewing gum on the floor. Uh, here you drive in, in the, on the road and people toss packets of uh, their, the remains of their takeaway lunch onto the road in front of you it, among with all of the passengers in the car. Not one person says, don't do that. Culturally, it's wrong for us to do it. And there's going to be a consequence if you have done it. Don't do it. Keep the trash and wait until we get to the place where you could properly deposit it. It may seem a little example, but it's the little things that turn into the big things. Because that same person that tosses the package out of the window is the kind of person who in the organization could make a journal entry that is incorrect. It's that person who says, don't throw it because it's wrong. It could be the person in the organization that doesn't do it. So don't minimize the small. They often turn into the big. That is so true, Michael. That's something that we often take for granted. On that very note point, let's just take a break. Please don't go anywhere. We'll come back on the very same point, which I want Michael to illustrate. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa, is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. If you have just joined us, uh, hopefully you didn't go too far. My name is Numero Tembele. Delighted to be in your space as uh, on this glorious day. We are joined online by Michael Juden from Juden Combrick, as well as Dr. Sfiso Falala, from, who is an executive at Plus94 Research. I'd also like your thought process in terms of where does it start? Um, you know, culture and good values start at, at, at the education level all the way to university. It's not something that could be taught at the later stage. But having said that, one is one critical issue that, that came to mind as you are talking relates to what the kind of advice you would give to board members who are relatively, um, new in those particular environment. They may have, they may have, you know, proper qualifications, but the experience was, um, because I would imagine some of the board members who, um, were found, were found wanting were as a result of their inexperience. Surely, in terms of the diversity, there has to be considered effort by corporates to bring uh, new blood into the street. But you can't bring new people without necessarily giving them sufficient training or sufficient exposure so that they are not being manipulated by, by senior executive. What's your advice on that? I think if of all we've discussed today, uh, Nimrod, this is one of the most important issues that have been raised. So... I uh, often say that our minds are tuned when we think of mentoring to the 
to the older person mentoring the young person. I think we need to tune our minds in mentoring to both ways. I think older directors need younger directors who are who are digitally savvy to mentor older directors who need to be digitally savvy, otherwise there's no chance of operating an organization without being digitally savvy today. And at the same time, older directors need to mentor younger directors, showing them the one thing that you can't learn in the universities, and that's the experience of life. And that's the very important role that older directors play. The onboarding of new directors is absolutely critical. Institutions like the Institute of Directors offer exceptional programs to young directors to onboard them, to show them how to be able to dissent in a boardroom, not to be overpowered by powerful chairmen or CEOs or other directors, how to be able to ensure that they can see right from wrong, teaching them critically important how to read a board pack and how to understand a board pack which is sometimes the younger people understand the digital part of the board pack better better than the experienced directors. So their training is critically important and very, very important. I know uh, we sit together on the board of the American Chamber of Commerce. I know a woman who's now retired from one of the, the global giants and is now doing cultural training where she takes the board six, seven people, each with a different culture, each with a different understanding of what is right or wrong, each influenced by a different upbringing, a different life. And she helps them all to create a culture for the company of ethical and effective, honest and transparent leadership. This is the type of training that we need to do. And so using the analogy of the garden, by the best plants, the best tractors, have the best irrigation, the very best seeds. If I haven't nurtured the soil and fed the soil to receive the seed, all of the watering, all of the tractors, all of the good farming isn't going to work. So we need to create in those companies fertile ground for these young directors to grow to become ethical and effective leaders. And it's incumbent upon all organizations to ensure that the onboarding is just not a cocktail party, a picture in the newspaper, and the big smile when the first check is received. It needs a lot of hard work. The ground needs to be made fertile before it can receive the seed. Michael, I know that you are running out of time. As uh, Dr. Dr. Falala, Michael needs to leave us in a short while. What would be your final concluding remark based on this brilliant conversation that we've had, which I think the listener has thoroughly enjoyed and would definitely call upon Michael at some point to clarify one or two issues. Your part in short, as we say goodbye to Michael for uh, gracing the airways today. As always, I'm impressed by what Michael has to say. He's like a Bible of, of knowledge Just my parting shot is companies and directors are held responsible for misdemeanors and for breaking the law and for poor company uh, governance. The question uh, that that then arises is, is who actually holds 
society responsible for the value system, uh, the values that they have or do not have? Because it seems from what Michael has been saying that there is a connection between the values and um, and our ability to be more relevant and, and more sensitive to issues of, of governance. And I would like to think that it would be schools, universities, and um, potentially parents, but none of these institutions uh, in reality uh, are held responsible for, for values. And perhaps that is where the problem might be. So that's my parting shot. I think you raise a very good point, uh, Safisa, because you're talking about accountability and responsibility. And so we need to be accountable and we need to be responsible. The parent needs to be accept responsibility and be accountable for the way they've brought up the child. And similarly, the school for the way they've taught the university and the business school boards, how they've acted with younger employees and how they've trained them. And we need accountability and responsibility. And sadly in the country, because we haven't seen accountability and responsibility, young people are growing up into a world where they're not aware of accountability and responsibility. And I think those are two of the most critical foundations for good corporate governance and acknowledgement that in my life I am responsible and I am accountable. I'll leave you with one short story with a, which an American client told me. At a military institution in the U.S., there is a sign at the door, and it says you are about to enter an institution where it is either yes, sir, or no, sir. There is no but, sir. That's quite interesting, Michael. I, I now absolutely agree with Sefisa when he says you are a Bible of knowledge. The listener have thoroughly enjoyed this particular conversation for it has enriched me in particular so much as we are wrapping up one thing that comes to mind is how culture trumps strategy over and over you kept on going back to culture organizational culture individual culture societal culture in culture in all their manifestation and you've used very interesting metaphors around the soil you can bring the good seed you can bring the good tractors you can bring but if the culture is not conducive, there is nothing that is going to be planted that will succeed. And I think that is the key message that I'm taking uh, tonight. I, I hope and believe the, the listener will certainly reflect on these critical issues, which aren't easy by any way. They are very critical nevertheless. Michael, on that note, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on board. Thank you very much, Nimrod, and thank you very much, Safisa. It's, it's been a pleasure to be with you and a particular pleasure to have spent an hour with two Arsenal supporters after <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Uh, fantastic. Have a nice evening further. Thank you for fantastic. having me. Fantastic. Dr. Falala, thank you very much for organizing the meeting with Michael Juden uh, from Juden uh, Combrick in cooperation, who has really given us a food for thought. Let's do this again. In the meantime, let us all be mindful that COVID is still in our midst. Let's observe all the rules of engagement so that we can all enjoy our love as we should. I uh, thank you.